0: there and welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is John Tefteller, your host. It is Tuesday and on Tuesday we normally have some kind of wacky comedy or interesting drama and we are going to do that. But we also have a special guest who's going to be with us for a few shows. He is what I would describe as a legendary figure in the world of old-time radio. Um, I don't know if he would describe himself as legendary. I'll let him decide that. But I I will describe him as legendary. It is Mr. J. David Golden, who I guess I can refer to as Dave. Is that correct, Mr. Golden?
1: Yes, it's correct. And the only legendary character I can think of is Robin Hood.
0: Oh, well, okay. Well, I hope we're not the same as Robin Hood, but we'll... <laughs>
1: I steal from the rich and give to me.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, for those who don't know who you are, I will give a little bit of background here. Um, Modern-day old-time radio fans are probably most aware of you because of the Radio Golden Index, which is a, a, a very vast and deep internet site where anyone who's interested in finding out what radio programs exist, who was on them, and all kinds of minute little details can go and they can look it up and search it and it it tells them all this great stuff and it's, you are the the man behind the Radio Golden Index Um, We can talk a little bit more about that later. You have been a professional broadcaster since 1963 You produced over 300 LP records. That's long play records for you young folks. That's 33 and a third record for the rest of you. You had six Grammy nominations, congratulations, and one actual Grammy in 1981. And we can find out in a little bit what that was all about. You founded a company called Radio Yesteryear, which anybody who ever collected old-time radio shows going back to when? The late 60s or so. Or so, would be familiar with radio yesteryear because you were the first company in the entire country to sell vintage radio programs. I think you also had some involvement with Murray Hill Records, and I love the name Michael Rafoni. Um, is that one of your pseudonyms?
1: It is, and it's pronounced Michael row as in Mike Rophone. Yes,
0: I know. I said it wrong. Microphoney. <laughs> I sing you the three stooges short, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. So welcome to the good old days of radio show Dave Golden.
1: Thank you. It's a, a pleasure and an honor to be here. This is the very first podcast I've ever been on, and I would say it's the very first podcast I've ever listened to. Except I'm not really listening. But, <laughs>
0: well, I, you're talking. I, you can had listen had... to it later when it, when it actually is available to listen to.
1: All right. But uh, I wanted to, to you to know that it's only because of you, John Tiff that I am appearing at all. I don't do podcasts. I've never heard one, actually. <laughs> but i I couldn't, I couldn't say no to you, John, because you had a half-Nelson on me. And so he said, yes, it's my pleasure.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I know you don't do very many interviews either, so I consider it an exclusive here. How's that? An
1: excruciating exclusive. My <laughs> pleasure, John.
0: Let's hope it's not too excruciating. All right. Let's start with your, I guess, what we would say legendary, although you might not use that term, but how about, let's say, a pioneer in the early days of collecting vintage radio shows. Does that sound better? Uh,
1: you're, you're, you're pausing for a response. Yes.
0: Okay.
1: Um, I was uh, one of the early members of DRAT, and that's an uh, organization you've probably never heard of. Because well, it has it something
0: was, to do with W.C. Fields, right?
1: Um, no. <laughs> it had to do with <laughs> oh. the Dramatic Radio Tape collectors. DR Dramatic Radio, uh, I forget what the T was. But I was one of 21 guys who got together back in 1961 uh, because we were interested in old radio. And actually, I was uh, interested in the genre uh, before that, but I didn't start to collect radio programs until about 1960, 61.
0: Okay, well, see, that's really early, because I didn't start doing anything until the early 70s, and most of the people that I know who are older than me, uh, most of them started in the mid-60s or early 70s, so you have to be uh, back before that. You beat that one.
1: I also have more birthdays than almost anyone has under their belt (laughs) <laughs> My middle name is becoming Methuselah.
0: <laughs> well, keep having birthdays. That, that's good. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> so in those early days of collecting radio shows, early days, 1961, hey, Suspense and Johnny Dollar were still on the air at that point.
1: Yes, uh, they were. And um, it's interesting you mentioned those two, Because I had a night job. I was a night watchman in a small company in Mount Vernon, New York, that manufactured transformers. And uh, there's not much going on at night in a transformer factory. And so I spent most of the evening listening to radio. And I actually heard the announcement that uh, Johnny Dollar and Suspense were uh, being concluded would not be on next week. And I my reaction was, well, I can't say that on the air. <laughs> but it was one of disappointment.
0: Okay. And the, there were still a few soap operas on, too, though, were there not?
1: Um, actually, I think there was uh, one or two on until 1962. Right. But I, uh, my favorites, when I first started collecting, were... X minus one, and before that, um, what was before X minus one?
0: Dimension oh, X?
1: Yes, of course, Dimension X. Uh, I used to listen to those and record them. Uh, you also you listen to CBS on Sunday nights, starting at 10 p.m. You'll never guess what was on then, so I'll tell you. Okay. They were radio band remotes. And I recorded every band remote that I heard and never considered that one day I would actually be doing those same band remotes. So, yeah, I started recording almost as soon as I had a tape recorder and fortunately kept almost everything.
0: Well, 1961, X-1 wasn't on the air at that point. How were you recording those?
1: I wasn't. I was listening to them. Since I was a kid, my ah, my okay. grandma, my grandma, bless her soul, my grandma got me a General Electric AM/FM radio, and I'm sure almost everybody has a, a similar story of the the radio they first met. They're they're almost as much fun as girls, <laughs> but uh, with with my AM/FM radio, I could listen, and that's what I did. Uh, we had a television, but my mother and father watched what they like, and I went into the bedroom and listened to what I liked.
0: Okay, so you were not a fan of early television. You, you got right into radio at an early age. How old?
1: Well, I, I can almost pinpoint it exactly. For my 13th birthday, my mother, at my request, bought me a tape recorder. It was a voice of music. And I broke it within two weeks. (laughs) My second one was a Revere tape recorder. Uh, I think it was called the TR12, but I'm not really sure. And one of the advantages of that Revere tape recorder with a built in radio was that it could record AM without any, or uh, without much static and interference. So that was right up my alley, and I recorded those band remotes almost every week.
0: So what, what, what time period was this, in the mid-'50s or early-'60s? Where are we at?
1: We're talking about 1957 on.
0: Okay, so and big band I, remotes. I the big band era was basically over at that point, but they still had big bands that were playing at night, I guess.
1: Uh, yeah, CBS continued the big band. Big Band broadcasts on Sunday night uh, up until, uh, I would guess, about 1973 or 4. Now, I did those programs as the engineer at the nightclubs and the dance halls in New York uh, from 19... Humana, humana, it would have been 1969, 70. Uh, 69 and 70, I, I did many of them in New York.
0: Okay, so I guess that must mean you're a big fan of the big band style of music.
1: Well, yes and no. Um, they the big bands weren't as big in 1969 as they no, were in 1949. That's true. And, and um, it was interesting uh, because uh, it was interesting to me because I had two remotes scheduled every week. Uh, One was on uh, during the week, and it was at the Empire State Building. There was a bar, saloon, nightclub in the basement called the Riverboat, and they featured big bands. And I, I thought it was amusing that here I am in the basement of the Empire State Building, and a few years before that, I was in master control at WOR Television, which was on the 86th floor of the Empire State Building. So I took an 87-floor reduction in rank. <laughs> the The other band remote I did was on 53rd Street uh, at the Roseland Dance City, which was still in existence oh up until just a few years ago. And every Sunday night, they had two bands. One was... For us old folks that played swing and good listening music, and between sets for that band, they had a Latin band for the cha-cha devotees. This was a dance studio, ballroom, I should say, and it was, it was really for dancing. Um, there was a stage. There were approximately 13, 14, 15 musicians Uh, There was an announcer, and I was on the stage. There was no place for me to hide. So I was on the stage with my remote amplifier, um, and and, uh, people would ask, are you on the radio? And I said, no, I'm sitting in a chair. And the announcer would say the same joke every week. Can you guess? No, you can't. So I'll tell you what the joke was. Every week, almost every announcer said this at one time or another when there was an audience. He would say, we have five minutes to go in case anybody has to. (laughs) Uh, And at that point, I would break tone. Break tone is an expression in radio to uh, let the people at Master Control know that the program is going to begin shortly. In other words, wake up. And uh, sure enough, at the correct time, uh, the announcer would throw a cue and the band leader would throw it right back and we were off and running. So it was fun. It was exciting. It was real radio.
0: Okay. So now into collecting older programs. In 1962, 63, 64, where would one go to get vintage radio programs at that point?
1: Uh, That's that's a good question, and uh, a very good question. And it involved, of all things, race music of the 1920s. Now, I don't think you know much about that. No, I don't know
0: anything about that. So, (laughs) no, we'll we'll have to just gloss over that one. Go ahead.
1: Okay, well, I, I was interested in collecting 78s. And uh, you might know, No, I don't think you would know, maybe you would know a Frankie Half-Pint Jackson. Of course Do I know Frankie
0: him? Half-Pint Jackson. Yes, he recorded okay. for Black Patty, he recorded for Vocalion, he recorded for Decca. He was a little guy with a kind of a high, squeaky voice, sounded like a girl, and he made a lot of kind of jump blues records.
1: What can I say? I didn't think anybody remembered Frankie Half-Pint Jackson. Um,
0: I have a picture of Frankie Halfpint Jackson, an original photo of him taken in a studio in Chicago where he's dressed all up in a tuxedo and he's got a little um, conductor's wand with him. He's conducting an orchestra or something in the picture. It's very nice.
1: Well, he grew up quite a bit and had to change his name to Frankie Two quart. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a- 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 so
2: anyway,
0: this relates yeah. so, to race records in some way. Go ahead.
1: All right, so I started collecting them with the help of an older collector, and you being one of the uh, legends of record collectors, if I can coin the term, you might remember Les Zeger.
0: No, who, I don't know who okay, that is. well,
1: He, he was uh, a race jazz collector who lived a short distance from me in the, in the Bronx. And Les, since he had gotten out of the Army after the war, he was a, a small, meek little guy. His entire apartment was filled with records. Uh, 78 records, of uh, mostly uh, race jazz from the 20s and maybe even before. But I was mostly interested in in the uh, in the 30s uh, or late 20s when Duke Ellington was known as the Washingtonians. And uh, I never liked Duke Ellington after he started honking and squeaking. <laughs> I I liked, I liked him back when he was the Jungle Band. Yes. That was my kind of thing.
2: Okay.
1: And. Uh, um, I, I had a driver's license at the time, and Les did not. So I would drive around quite a distance to buy collections for Les. Um, and I went as, as far as Oklahoma once, and uh, <laughs> it was supposed to be an Indian who had collected records back in the day and had them and wanted to sell them. Well, it turned out the Indian was actually an oil field worker and the records were up in the attic where it was approximately 200 degrees and I had to bring them down load them in the Dodge that I had remember fluid drive this Dodge had a fluid drive it had a clutch that you could use if you wanted or you didn't use if you didn't want anyway uh, I'm digressing so that was the furthest that I ever went um, for less to buy records and uh, I would go to Washington and upstate New York, and uh, we would have a good time together. Then came the day, if I can get back on, on track, when I noticed Les's collection of transcriptions. Uh-huh. And one of the first things I, he let me borrow, <laughs> and here's something I don't think anybody else has and, or would want, or, were 240 episodes of Way Down East. It was a soap opera from about 1934, I think, with um, Agnes Moorhead and a a, a movie star, who I'm I'm tempted to say Van Heflin, but I don't think he was old enough. It was a movie star like that. And uh, I listened to 240 episodes and became besotten. I I then borrowed all the uh, 16-inch discs that Les would lend to me, and he was quite generous, um, and I recorded them, and that's how my collection started.
0: with a With a show called Way Down East, and you you still have two hundred episodes of that somewhere?
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I do. It was it was the first long, continuous string of programs I had for some time. It, it was based on the movie. Yeah, there was Way a movie east. with
0: uh, Mary Pickford, I believe, or Lillian uh, I believe Gish. You're right. Mary Pickford or Lillian Gish or both, but yes.
1: And who was who was the the, the male lead? I guess it was Richard Barthelmew. But I don't Could know, be. somebody's looking it up at this moment. Yeah, There's yeah. The, Le- all the, the people well. are
0: <laughs> googling it right <laughs> as they're listening to this. Uh,
1: okay, so so that started it, and uh, I I then discovered a record store in Manhattan on. Oh, it was on Lower Broadway, near 13th Street, called Eichler's. And I don't think anybody uh, listening in would remember Eichler's unless they were at least 75. Uh, Eichler's had a strange store. He wouldn't sell LPs. He mostly sold junk. Um, Scrap records. 78s were like a buck each. And uh, in the basement... If Old Man Eichler liked you enough, uh, he would let you into the basement to scrounge among the 16 inch records. And most of what I found down there were 16 inch records pressed by uh, Charlie Michelson. Um, Michelson pressed uh, The Shadow, of course, and uh, Adventures by Morse. I think, didn't he do that? Or. Uh, one similar to it, but all the Charlie Michelson syndicated shows uh, were in the basement. And I'm sorry I didn't buy more. I didn't have that much ready cash. But I would drop 10 bucks a week easily at Eichlue's basement. And so there I am off and running uh, with my collection growing. And, and at one point, I assumed I had found just about all there was to find. I, I had no idea how much there was or, or where it was. And uh, I was wrong. There was a few more records to collect and programs to listen to.
0: A few more, like a few hundred thousand more.
1: Well, it's getting there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's,
0: it's getting there. Okay, so the, we're in the 1964 or so with these, these uh, discs from this record store. Um, at some point, I believe it's you that is credited with getting a lot of original transcription discs from WOR radio. Is that correct?
1: Oh, that, that, that's getting ahead. Um, oh, getting
0: ahead. Well. Uh,
1: yeah, it helps if you're making a salad. Um, in 1963, I, I dropped out of New York University because I got a job at a radio station in Alaska. And I I was there for some time. I eventually went back to NYU and finished. got my degree in radio production and direction, which in 1964, why anybody would want that kind of degree is beyond me, but that's all I was interested in by then was was radio. Um, My first, well, there were several radio stations around New York City, where I worked. One was WVIP in Mount Kisco, the area off the air. Another one, and this this could be the subject of two other broadcasts, was WHBISM, which was licensed for Newark, New Jersey, but transmitted atop the Ritz Hotel on Fifth Avenue and 57th, maybe 58th Street. It was the kind of place where I once met Goodman Ace in the elevator. Uh, but, but that station is a legend, and boy, can I tell stories about that? Many of them not repeatable in mixed company.
0: Well, but then they- let, let's save those for, <laughs> for another day somewhere. This show is, is known for being able to be played in mixed company. That's what we do here, so...
1: I figured. And, and by the way, we haven't played any radio shows. Well,
0: we're getting to that. In fact, I was going to just about say we're going to continue with your history and uh, all of that. But we're going to pause a little bit here. Um, I want you to tell me, who's your, who was your favorite radio comedian? I think I know, but go ahead and tell me.
1: My favorite radio comedian... Uh was Jack Benny, of course.
0: Jack uh, Benny, right?
1: No, no contest.
0: Okay. Yep. All right. So I'm going to read something that you sent me um, because I think this is fascinating. Um, this relates to uh, you doing something that nowadays they call a bucket list thing. Back then, there was no such thing as a bucket list. I think the bucket list originated in a movie with Morgan Freeman or something, but um, that's where I think that term came from. But you had a bucket list item. I'm saying this because that's everybody now will understand what I mean. You had a bucket list item that you wanted to do. And you sent me a little thing that was, I guess this is an advertisement or something. Uh, It says, fantasy broker. If you are a postal clerk and you want to be a stand-up comedian for one night, or a businessman who wants to drive a freight train across the western states, or a psychiatrist,
1: meet me, by the way.
0: Okay, a psychiatrist who wants 20 dates on 20 weekends with 20 girls from 20 different countries How would you accomplish that? Well, they see a fantasy broker whose business is making dreams come true. Originally pioneered in Chicago by an advertising executive, fantasy firms in several cities now do a booming business, charging from $150 to thousands to turn dreams into a reality. Fantasy Fulfillment Institute in Washington, D.C. did $2,500 worth of business as a result of an ad that read... Quote, you can do anything you want, drive a formula race car, ride a camel down Pennsylvania Avenue at 3 p.m., live in a ghost town, float across the Potomac on a magnificent barge with 100 slaves, that you won't be able to do today, or kiss a buffalo. Uh, Anyway, you actually hired this guy to make your bucket list item or your fantasy item come true. And that fantasy item was you wanted to meet Jack Benny, right?
1: That, that's correct. That was my first fantasy item. And before we go into that, the second fantasy item was, I'm, I, I'm really I'm, I'm pleased that I actually did this. I said I wanted to be a clown in the circus. And uh, they actually got me uh, doing an act with Emmett Kelly, who was one of the... Most famous clown of all
0: time. Yes.
1: Yes. So I I was made up in a clown uniform by the other clowns in Clown Alley. And uh, I appeared in one performance of Circus America with Emmett Kelly. And I'm very proud of that because... I who wouldn't want to act in the circus at one time or another? Or run away to the circus? Uh, no, I didn't get paid, by the way.
0: But you had to the pay other, this guy. You had to pay this guy to get you in the circus with Emmett Kelly, right? Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. All right. And, and now, now, now comes Jack Benny. Explain this one. Can I hold off just a minute? Oh, okay. Go ahead. We can have one more.
1: The, the other two fantasies that this guy lined up for me didn't work out. Um, I was the guy in that ad or that write-up that wanted to drive a diesel freight train across the Western Desert. Not a passenger train, not a steam train. It had to be a diesel locomotive hauling boxcars.
0: And why did you want to do that?
1: I couldn't tell you. It was just something I wanted to do. (laughs) Okay. I mean, that's what a fantasy is. By the way, one of the first things the owner of this company told me was no sexual fantasies. He said, and I quote, I am not a pimp, unquote. (laughs) Uh, and, and it's a good thing he told me, because my first fantasy was leaning in that direction, <laughs> <laughs> with Jack Benny far behind. But in, okay. in any event, because of the union jurisdiction problem, I was, I was never able to drive that diesel locomotive. But I did, years later, hire a diesel switcher in upstate New York. I think it was, uh, where's the Baseball Hall of Fame? Uh, Cooperstown. Cooperstown. Yeah, that was a short haul railway, and I, I rented a locomotive and a couple of boxcars. From me. these people were willing, although I had to hire a licensed engineer, and also a fireman, and also a flagman, because this railroad had unguarded uh, street crossings. So, and uh, but I'm getting off the topic. Um, uh, that was my my second uh, third fantasy that he wasn't able to do. And the fourth fantasy, which was really off the wall, he was able to do, and I chickened out. My fantasy was I wanted to get a job in Antarctica without joining the Navy. And at that time, the only people, this is now going back 40, 50 years, the only time uh, kind of people they had in Antarctica, at least Americans, were Navy personnel supporting the scientists who were there during the um, Antarctic winter. And would you believe he got me a job? Um, uh, Fortunately, I'm a licensed radio engineer, and radio engineers are in demand down there. And I was called in for an interview at which I found out that the minimum contract time in Antarctica was six months, and my wife wasn't too keen on that. Uh, We had a young daughter at the time, and I was running a business, and so I reluctantly had to say no, but I had to pay for my fantasy anyway, because he did it. I could have accepted the job in Antarctica without joining the Navy. So there. Okay, let's get to Jack Benny.
0: Yes, let's get to Jack Uh, Benny.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry, I, but I, I love telling those stories. Uh, by the way, whatever happened to this guy, I, I can tell you, I was coming back for my fifth fantasy when his, his name was Charles, by the way. Um, I called him Chuck. Chuck said to me, Dave, I'm not taking any more fantasies because I'm folding the business and now I'm going to live my fantasies. And we had dinner together. On, on a uh, restaurant on the Potomac and said goodbye, and, and that was the end of Fantasy Fulfillment. But damn it, he got me into to see Jack Benny, and he got me a job in the circus as a clown.
0: All right, so tell the Jack Benny story, and then we're going to listen to an episode of Jack Benny selected by you for the good old days of radio show.
1: Um, okay, so I got to meet Jack Benny at lunch, um, it was you no. Know, I'm trying to remember the restaurant. I don't think anybody cares. Uh, it might have been Harvey's, which was a very famous w- restaurant in Washington D.C. Uh, where every president at that time had eaten there, going back to the uh, 1800s when Harvey's was opened. It's closed now, alas. But we went to lunch, and his daughter Joan was there. Um, his Agent, who you probably heard give, getting credit on the air, was uh, Irving Fine, who was a, a long-term friend as well as an a, um, agent for Jack. Um, Hilliard Marks was not there. And it's interesting, you hear Hilliard Marks getting credit as the producer on the show, and... It, it's not well known, I guess, to, to Jack Benny Freaks who would know it, but Hilliard Marks was Mary Livingston's brother. And now, Mary Livingston wasn't named Mary Livingston. Uh, she changed her name several times, but wound up uh, using her real name, which was Sadie Marks, M A R X. Now, this is, as you know, no relation to the Marx brothers at all. Correct. I don't think.
2: Nope. Wasn't nope. Okay. nope. Nope.
1: So Sa- Sadie Marx changed her name to Mary Livingston and got her brother a job. Actually, I don't know if she got her brother a job. The brother might have been there first um, as the producer of the show. So uh, there's a whole crowd of us there.
0: Well, and wait, I'll wait, wait, wait. Back up a minute. Back up a minute. Do you know how um, this guy actually got Jack Benny to sit down with you for, for lunch? How did that? How did he make that happen? Do you know?
1: Well, I never asked him, but I assumed the following based on what he told me afterwards. He, he never said, I called this person or I did that, but I'm assuming he got in touch with Irving Pine who was uh, Jack's manager. You really couldn't pick up the phone and call Jack Benny, or maybe you could if you knew the number. But uh, Irving Fine was certainly available. He was a listed the talent agent in Hollywood. And I, I don't know what um, uh, Chuck said to Irving Fine to convince him to let me do this, because he, uh, Irving Fine knew about me and didn't think too kindly about me selling old radio shows of Jack Benny.
0: Oh. Uh, <laughs> Did that come up at lunch? Uh,
1: in a roundabout way. Um, I, I, when he first walked in, I recognized him, and I didn't know, uh, not, be, <laughs> not being instantly a legend in my own time, <laughs> whether he recognized me. And uh, I, I said a really clever line like, Hello, I'm Dave Golden. And he said, yeah, I know who you are. So from from that one line, you could interpret a whole bunch of things. <laughs> okay.
2: All right. So, so
1: <laughs> I really didn't know how Chuck uh, managed to convince Irving Fine to let me do this, and I presume Jack knew about it also. Uh, so here we are with lunch. Now, don't ask me what was on the menu. No, I don't, I don't care never... about what
0: was on the menu. I care about what the <laughs> conversation was.
1: Strangely enough, I couldn't think of what to ask him. What do you ask Jack Benny? Um, Are you really cheap? No, of course he really wasn't cheap. Uh, One question I remember uh, asking Jack was, there's been a revival in interest in radio, I was thinking in the back of my mind, Um, the reissues of The Shadow and The Green Hornet. And my question was, did you ever reconsider doing something in radio again? And he had a great answer. It was no. And that was it. Uh, Radio was past him, or he was past radio, and he was more or less retired. Now, we're talking about, oh, I would say August of 1974,
0: Okay, that's not long before he passed away.
1: That's right. He died in December, I think, of 1974. Yes. I asked one of the other questions I asked was, how are you feeling? And he said, uh, I have a stiffness in one of my pinkies, which makes it difficult to play the violin, but uh, it doesn't hurt. And other than that, I'm in pretty good shape. I, I'm not sure what Jack died of. Pancreatic cancer. Oh, uh, okay. That's a, that's a wicked one, that's for sure. Um, and I would suspect he knew he had it because you usually do know you have that
0: one. Yeah, was, uh, especially since this was like five months before he passed away.
1: Yeah, so I would, I would assume he knew he had a limited time. And as a matter of fact... He was going around the country. What was he doing in Washington, D.C.? By the way, a lot of these fantasies involved Washington, D.C., because that's where Fantasy Fulfillment was located. So um, here we are in Washington, D.C. And Jack was going around the country at the time performing with symphony orchestras for the benefit of the musicians. Uh, his fee was all donated to the musicians in the orchestras at which he appeared. And he was in Washington to appear with the Washington Symphony at a place called Wolf Trap, which is a funny name for a, uh, a very nice auditorium. And um, I was invited to sit next to Joan during his concert performance, and i have to tell you one great Jack Benny joke that nobody will know who's only seen, seen him on television or heard him on the radio. This is something he, I think, only did during live concerts. And um, the conductor of the symphony would introduce our special guest, and Jack Benny would walk out and sit next to the concertmaster the first violinist, and uh, he'd be introduced uh, and he's going to play something. I, I think it might have been from Sarasati, but I'm not sure. It wasn't Love and Balloon. Uh, so he's introduced as a soloist and he stands up and walks to the front of the stage and then walks back again and asks the concertmaster for something, which the concertmaster gives him. And Jack turns around to the audience and says, give me, I forgot my mute. And I didn't even know violins had mutes, but anyway, the concertmaster gives him the, the mute. And Jack goes up to the stage, front of the stage and, and plays a solo uh, for the first selection. I, I believe he was, now I'm no, I'm no uh, critic, but... Uh, he was a competent violinist at this time. I, I don't think he would uh, give Isaac Stern a run for his money or Nathan Milstein, but he, he was a violinist, and I, he, he did okay. So he's, he then, after the first election, says a few words to the audience, and at, as he's speaking, he takes the mute from the violin and slips it in his pocket. Uh, as he's speaking, the concertmaster gets up from his chair, doesn't say anything, walks over to Jack, sticks his hand in his pocket, and takes his mute back and walks back to the chair. Now, here is essence of Jack Benny. It's a cheap joke without saying a word, um, and it, the audience loved it and i loved it too and apparently that was a a common uh, bit that jack did at live concerts so that's something you would never know about at least i hope you would never know about now someone from a jack benny club is going to say well he did that in 1937 <laughs> i don't know what he did in 1937 but this was a thrill to see he was a good violinist
0: all right so back to the lunch with jack Benny. Uh, do you have any other uh, memories of anything that was said or discussed?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> there was some mention about who was going to pick up the check, <laughs> <laughs> but that will be my secret.
0: Oh, okay. Um, and you you paid Chuck two thousand dollars for this lunch with Jack Benny, correct?
1: I, I I hate when you when you put it that way. <laughs> Well, Uh, it's factual, isn't it? uh, Yeah, well, it's factual, yes, but don't let the facts uh, get in the way of a great story. Um, It was, yes, it was expensive, and actually uh, $2,000 is approximate. I don't really remember what it was, Uh, but um, this was paying for a fantasy to happen to me. It's something I always yes, want. You it. can't put a price on it. I'm not saying pre- you
0: overpaid. I'm just, I'm just commenting on this so that the people who listen to this will understand what it took to have lunch with Jack Benny. <laughs>
1: well, I could have done it for less had I negotiated. But who wants to dicker with Jack Benny?
0: Probably not a good idea.
1: No. Let's get to the radio show. All right. So the
0: the show that we're going to listen to is one that you selected. I have not heard this, so we're going to listen to it together. Uh, It's from April 12th, 1953. Is there any particular reason, without spoiling what goes on in the show, is there any particular reason why you picked this one? Why is this one one of your all-time favorites?
1: I guess it's because I like it. Okay. And I haven't and I haven't heard it for a while. It's hard to find a Jack Benny Dad show. Right. You could probably listen to a lot of them and say, I like this one better than that one. But he has such a magnificent lineup, lineup of writers who were really good at radio writing and the the concept I won't tell you what, what the um what the, the 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 main skit is about let the listeners find out for themselves, but it's such a ludicrous idea that only Jack could pull it off.
0: All right, well, with that, we will. Um turn on the program and we'll all listen to it together. Um your microphone will be off as will mine until the show is over, but we will both be listening to it at the same time as will everyone listening to this podcast. So, uh if you're ready for that, sit back, relax and listen to the Jack Benny show from CBS Radio um April 12th, 1953.
3: The Jack Benny program, transcribed and presented by Lucky Strike. You know, for real smoking enjoyment, nothing, no nothing beats better taste. And
4: Lucky's taste better, cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky's taste better, cleaner, fresher, smoother. For Lucky Strike means fine
5: tobacco,
4: richer tasting,
6: fine tobacco. Lucky's taste better,
4: cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky
3: Strike! Lucky Strike! This is Don Wilson. Friends, no doubt about it, your enjoyment of a cigarette depends on its taste. For nothing, no nothing, beats better taste. And Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. You see, Lucky's better taste starts right off with the fine, mild, good-tasting tobacco that goes into Lucky's. And then Lucky's are made better to give you a cleaner, fresher, smoother-tasting smoke. Yes, sir, only fine tobacco and a better-made cigarette can give you all the deep-down smoking enjoyment you want. So why not switch to Lucky Strike? Yes, be happy. Go lucky. You'll find...
4: Lucky's taste better.
3: Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky Strike! Lucky Strike! The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson. (laughs) And now, let's go out to Jack Benny's house in Beverly Hills. It's such a lovely morning that outside on the front lawn, we hear the splashing of birds in the bird bath. While upstairs, we hear the sound of the shower.
7: Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a wonderful feeling that everything's going my way. Rochester,
6: I'm through showering. You can stop singing now. Okay. Say, Rochester, I don't know where you're buying soap lately, but that new bar I just used didn't lather at all.
7: I didn't know you took a new bar of soap. Did you get it out of the service closet? No, I found it in the kitchen. In the drawer? No, in a dish
6: near the drain board.
7: Well, congratulations, boss. Why? You have just showered with a peeled potato. (laughs) (laughs)
6: A peeled... Imagine showering with a peeled potato. You
7: now have the skin that lamb chops love to touch.
6: (laughs) Never mind that. Here, take this towel and dry my back, will you please? Yes, sir. Ah, that
7: feels good. Boss, you sure have well-developed shoulders.
6: Oh, thank you, Rochester.
7: Yes, sir. Did you ever do any fighting?
6: Oh, yes, yes, a long time ago. As a matter of fact, I won 22 fights. I was known as the Waukegan Wildcat.
7: Waukegan Wildcat? Yes. Uh, Why did you quit?
6: Well, they made us put on gloves, and I couldn't scratch anymore. (laughs) So I got a manicure and retired. Now, Rochester, while I get dressed, how about fixing me some breakfast?
7: Yes, sir. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh what a beautiful day! I've got a wonderful. Oh, good morning, Polly.
5: Oh what a beautiful morning! Oh what a beautiful day! Oh, I've got a wonderful feeling that something is coming my way.
7: She had a feeling, all right. She laid an egg. Good girl, Polly. What a beautiful morning oh,
4: hello, Rochester Oh,
7: good morning, Miss Livingston Come right in
4: You must be in a good mood I heard you singing as you were coming to the door
7: Oh, I always sing when it's getting close to my payday
4: Really? When is your payday?
7: September 1st
4: <laughs> <laughs> September 1st? But this is only April Why do you sing so long before payday?
7: There ain't much to sing about after.
4: (laughs) I know what you mean.
6: Oh, good morning, Mary.
4: Hello, Jack. You know, it's so early, I thought you'd still be in bed.
6: In bed? Are you kidding? I've already taken my shower. Rochester, how about breakfast? Coming up. Mary, would you care for something to eat?
4: No, thanks. I'm not hungry.
6: You know, Mary, you look kind of cute this morning. You really do. How about a kiss?
4: Okay. <clears> hmm. <throat> <clears throat> That's funny. Why? I just said I wasn't hungry and now I've got a craving for potatoes.
7: <laughs> well, we've got the cleanest ones in town. <laughs>
4: Uh, What?
6: Nothing, nothing Rochester, uh, just make my breakfast Uh,
4: uh, wait a minute, Jack What is Rochester talking about?
6: All right, I'll tell you This morning when I was taking a shower I thought I picked up a cake of soap But it turned out to be a peeled potato It could happen to anybody
4: That couldn't happen to Gracie Allen
6: (laughs) All right, all right So I showered with a potato What do you want me to do?
4: Kiss me, I'm hungry (laughs)
6: Never mind. Rochester, is breakfast ready?
7: I just put the coffee on. What else would you like?
6: Well, I'd like a little bacon and, uh,
7: uh, one fried (laughs) E-G-G. Yes, sir. A little bacon and one fried E-G-G.
4: Jack, what's the idea of the spelling? Why don't you just say you want a little bacon and one Uh, uh, fried...
6: Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. Don't say it, Mary. Don't say it. We always spell it. You know, Polly lays an EGG every day, and she'd go crazy if she ever found out we were eating them.
8: Oh. EGG,
4: EGG.
6: Isn't that cute?
4: EGG, EGG, EGG. EGG. Hey.
6: Rochester, no eggs. Fix me some pancakes.
7: Yes, sir.
6: Now, who can that be?
4: Oh, I'll get her. Oh, hello, Dennis.
5: Hello, Mary. Is Mr. Benny in?
4: Yes, he's having breakfast.
5: Well, I'm sure glad he's here because I got plenty to tell him. Dennis, what's the matter? Fourteen years this has been going on And I've had all I can take I've stood enough, believe me Well, Dennis, Dennis, what, what is it? I wouldn't mind if it was only once or twice But every week, the same thing Week in and week out After all, what does he take me for? I'm fed up, I tell you, fed up
4: Well, Dennis, I, I don't know what's on your mind But obviously you should talk to Mr. Benny Oh, well,
5: i say I'm gonna talk to him I'm gonna tell
4: him off Well, come on, he's in the breakfast room
5: Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello, Mr. Benny. Gee, you're looking well today.
6: (laughs) Uh, Thanks, kid. What'd you come over for?
5: Oh, I just happened to be in the neighborhood and I thought I'd drop in. Well, well, I'm glad you did.
4: Dennis, what are you waiting for? Why don't you tell him off?
5: What are you trying to do, start something? (laughs)
6: Yes, Mary, what's the matter with you?
4: What's the matter with me? Yeah. You've been mistreating Dennis and taking advantage of him for 14 years. What? And he's had enough of it. After all, what do you take him for?
6: Mary, what are you trying to do, make
5: trouble or something? That's telling her, Mr. Benny. (laughs) Uh,
4: Now, wait a minute. Look, Dennis, I'm going to straighten this thing out right now. Didn't you come to the door and tell me that you were mad at Mr. Benny? Uh
2: Uh-huh.
4: And didn't you tell me that you were fed up with the way he was treating you? Uh Uh-huh. And didn't you say you were going to tell him plenty? Uh Uh-huh. Then why is it when you walked up to Mr. Benny you were so nice to him? When I saw
5: his long fingernails, I lost my nerve.
6: (laughs) Stop being silly. Now, Dennis, I want to hear the song you're going to do on the program, so go ahead.
5: Yes, sir.
8: Was very still. Suddenly, our touch became a thrill, and suddenly I knew I was part of you, and yet I told my heart. Be still, be still. Then suddenly your lips were kissing mine. Suddenly my world became divine.
6: Dennis, it'll be fine on the program. Say, Rochester, is my toast ready yet? Not yet, boss. It's in the toaster.
5: Well, say, Mr. Benny, what's this I hear about you going up to San Francisco for three weeks? That's
6: right, Dennis. Next Sunday, I do my television show, and my guest star is Fred Allen. Immediately after my TV show, I fly to San Francisco and open at the Curran Theater on April 20th, and I'll be there for three weeks.
4: Uh, Jack, who are you going to have on your stage show?
6: Well, Mary, I'm going to have the Will Maston Trio featuring Sammy Davis Jr., Giselle McKenzie, and an all-star cast, including Frank Remley.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Frank Remley? What's he going to do?
6: Nothing, but the stage would look so empty without him lying there. (laughs) It's gonna be a great show. (laughs) Rochester, what was that? The toast, it flew out the window! (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That piece of toast landed on the lawn, and it'll attract ants. I'll be right back. Well, let's see, it flew out through that window... So it should be right on the lawn. Hmm, I don't see it. Maybe it flew out into the street. Funny, I don't see it around here either. Hmm, there's the Coleman's garbage can. It hasn't got a lid on it. <laughs> I wonder if the toast could have gone in there. Gee, I gotta find her. We'll be loaded with ants. Hmm... <laughs> There's several pieces of toast in here. Jack! Huh? Oh, hello, Bob. I was just looking for a piece of toast.
5: Well, Jack, why
6: didn't you tell me that things were that rough? Why I'd work for nothing. (laughs) Bob, you don't understand. Well, Jack, you can be honest with me. Come on, I'll take you down to the market and buy you enough food to last for two months. Bob, I'm trying to tell you that... What'd you say? (laughs) Huh? Well, I said that I'd take you down to the market and buy you enough food for two months.
4: Jack, come on in. Your breakfast is ready.
6: You eat it. Bob and I are going shopping. <laughs> hey, now, wait a minute. You mean you have food in the house and yet you are going to let me try to buy some for you? Bob, I was just going to teach you a lesson for being so silly. Now, come on in the house.
7: Mr. me. Hello Rochester
5: you, Mary
4: Hello Bob
6: Hiya Bob you, Dennis Sit down kids Mary pour everybody some coffee Okay
5: you? Make mine black Black? <laughs> Dennis I thought you always took cream Why do you want a black? I'm in mourning My uncle died <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Dennis you're kidding No I'm not He committed suicide Suicide? Yeah
6: Did he shoot himself? No <laughs>
5: Did he hang himself? No. Well, did he take poison? No. Well, for heaven's sakes, how did he do it? He bought a bottle of stop and pooped himself to death. <laughs> what? Jokes over, pass the cream.
6: You know, Bob, Bob, I think it's only fair that I warn you. Warn me about what? Before Phil Harris met Dennis, he didn't drink a drop. (laughs) Everything happened after... There's someone at the back door. Rochester, give everybody coffee. I'll answer.
5: Uh, hello, Mr. Benny Oh, the man from the
6: bakery shop,
5: huh? Uh, yeah, I got the stuff that you ordered Some donuts, some chocolate cake,
6: some pastry And a half a dozen Cimarin rolls <laughs> You still can't pronounce it, can you? Look, it isn't Simmeron, it's cinnamon Now let me ask you something Maybe this will help you pronounce it How are these rolls made?
5: Well, you take some flour, sugar, eggs, and, uh, And, uh, uh, Do you want to know all the ingredients? <laughs>
6: <laughs> now, look it. It isn't ingredients. It's ingredients. Yes, I want to know all of them. Then. Well, there's flour, sugar, eggs, shortening, and cinnamon. That's it. That's it. That's it. Now, now look it. Take your time. Think. Okay. Now, let me hear you say it. Ingredients I don't mean ingredients I'm trying to get you to say Cimarron I mean mean cinnamon Why don't you order something else? You drive me nuts All right, just give me my stuff Thanks and goodbye Bye
4: uh, Jack, who is that?
6: Oh, that silly guy from the bakery. The fellow who insists upon saying Cimarron rolls. Well, here you are, kid. You can have some of these with your coffee. They're nice and fresh.
4: Uh, wait a minute, Jack. He's right.
6: What do you mean he's right?
4: Well, look at that label on this paper box. These are genuine Cimarron rolls named after J.P. Cimarron, founder of the Cimarron Baking Company. <laughs> These simmering rolls should not be confused with ordinary cinnamon rolls, which are made from entirely different ingredients.
6: Hmm. Well, Jack, I guess that'll hold you. Hold me nothing. That silly guy had that label printed himself just because he can't say cinnamon. He must be crazy.
7: Well, boss, there's one way of finding out. How? Ask him if he showers with a peeled potato.
4: <laughs> now, let's cut,
6: let's cut out all of this nonsense. Do you kids want the rolls with your coffee or not?
4: Oh, well, i have some.
6: So will I. Dennis, how about... Dennis? Dennis, what are you stirring your coffee with?
5: My paper-made pen. <laughs>
6: Well,
5: don't worry. It's leak-proof. What? Joke's over. Pass me a spoon. Stop being silly. Boy, I don't know how long Phil stood it, Jackson, but I'm slipping. Get the
6: ice. (laughs) You'll need more than ice before you get through it. There's a front door. You want me to get it, boss? No, no, I'll get it. All I did was shower with a peeled potato. The whole day is mixed up. Yes? How do you do? My name is Martindale. I represent a law firm that specializes in settling estates and tracing legal heirs. Legal heirs? Yes. Does uh, Mr. Jack Benny live here? Oh, I'm Jack Benny. Well, then it's very possible that you're the man I'm looking for. Uh, May I come in? Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, have a seat, Mr. Martindale uh, Mr. Benny, if you're the man we're looking for an aunt whom you have never seen has left you a legacy of $5,000 $5,000? $5,
4: hey, kids! Kids, come on in here! Uh, uh, what is it, Jack?
5: Yeah, what's up? Yeah, what, 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 what? <laughs> uh, you, 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 you tell
6: them, Mr. Martindale uh, Certainly uh, we have reason to believe that Mr. Benny's Aunt Matilda, whom he has never met, left him $5,000. Hey, that's wonderful. Yes, yeah. Where's the money? Where's the money? Where's the money? The money. The m- my Aunt Matilda. The money. I, uh, I've got the check right here in my briefcase. Oh, uh, but first I'll have to verify a few facts. Oh, of course, of course. Go, go ahead, mister. Ask me anything you want. Good old Aunt Matilda. <laughs> oh, darn it. Excuse me. I have to answer the legacy I mean the money I mean the phone Hello? Hello, Jack, this is Don Goodbye, Don I mean, call me Call me back later
3: I'm very busy right now Oh, I can't call you later The Sportsman quartet is here And they're leaving town in a few minutes And we've got to settle something very important Now, we've got the commercial two ways And I don't know which way is better But, Don You're the only one who can help us It'll only take a minute Boys, boys, come on over to the phone let him hear it the first way Don, Look Don at, Now I listen Jack Listen oh. closely Take it fellas Be happy Go lucky Be happy Go lucky Strike Be happy Go lucky Get better taste today beetle poo 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 Look Don Now that was the first way Now fellas Give it to him the second way
6: do happy. Go lucky. Go lucky, strike me happy. Go lucky,
3: get better taste today. Poodly poo-poo-poo-poo-poo. <laughs> well, now, Jack, which way did you like better?
6: <laughs> which way did I like better? Don, I didn't hear any difference. You didn't? No. Well, for heaven's sakes,
3: why don't you pay attention? Look, Don. Fellas, the first way again. Don,
6: look, be at happy, i got a band go waiting lucky, for me. Be happy, go I lucky. I haven't got strike. time Be for happy, it. go lucky. Get better taste today
3: poo-poo-poo-poo-poo. Poo-poo, poo-poo. Now that was the first way. I know, I know. Now, fellas, the second way. Don, I don't care.
7: Be happy, go
3: lucky, be happy, go lucky, strike, be happy, go lucky, get better taste today. Poodlee poo-poo-poo-poo-poo. Poo-poo. Okay, Jack, which way do you like better? Don, are you crazy?
6: <laughs> Both
3: ways were exactly alike What do you mean exactly alike? I sit up all night working this thing out And you say there isn't any difference Well, there isn't There's a big difference In the first one, when the boys finished singing I went peedle-dee-poo-poo-poo-poo-poo poo uh huh And in the second one, I went poodle-dee-poo-poo-poo-poo-poo poo <laughs>
6: Don, you called me to decide between peedledy and poodledy?
2: That's
6: right, Jack. Which way do you like it better? Well... Fellas, the first
3: way... No, 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 Don, no. No.
6: I've already reached a decision. Good. What is it? It is my considered opinion that nothing, no nothing beats Harry Von Zell. <laughs> Goodbye. I'm, uh... I'm sorry about this interruption, Mr. Martindale. Oh, that's quite all right, Mr. Benny. Now, I'll answer any questions, and then you can give me the $5,000 my Aunt Matilda left to me. Uh, Jack. Huh?
4: Jack, come here a minute.
6: What is it, Mary?
4: Jack... Bob and I have been talking it over If your Aunt Matilda never saw you Why should she leave you all that money?
6: Because she was my own flesh and blood
4: Jack, if she had any of your blood She wouldn't leave anything to anybody
6: (laughs) Oh, quiet Okay, Mr. Martindale, I'll answer those questions now. Very well. Uh, Mr. Benny, were you born in Waukegan, Illinois? Yes, yes. You see, Mary? You see, it's me. It's me. And uh, at the age of six, you started to practice a musical instrument. That's
4: right, that's right, that's right. (laughs) That's right, that's right. (laughs)
6: And, uh... That instrument was? The violin. The violin. 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 I still play it, the violin. The violin. Yes. I play the violin. Now, the, uh... uh a fiddle. The fiddle. The violin. Yes, you uh, <clears throat> you graduated from Central Elementary School and went to Waukegan High School. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right. right. Right, 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 I played the violin at the high school. Violin. Right? Right, right, right. At right. Uh, the age of 17, you left Waukegan, became an actor, and went into... Vaudeville. I went into Vaudeville. 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 I played the violin in my vaudeville. Bo- That's Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Right, right. Right, Mr. Benny, I'm sure that further questioning is unnecessary. I'm firmly convinced that you're the man we're looking for. Where's the money? Where's the money? The money. Where's the money? Oh, oh, uh, just a minute. Here's one question I neglected to check. Uh, how old are you? Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. Well, that's strange. Every other answer seemed to fit, but the Jack Benny we're looking for was born in 1894... That would make him 59. Hmm. But, Mr. Martindale, it it must be me. There was no other Jack Benny born in Waukegan who plays a violin. I'm sorry, but the Jack Benny we're looking for, who gets this $5,000, was born in 1894 and is 59 years old. Hmm. (laughs) Well... Fifty-nine? Yes
3: Well This is a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense
6: (laughs) Mr. Martindale I'm sorry But I'm not the Jack Benny you're looking for I am only thirty-nine Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Benny I was hoping my search was over (laughs) Oh, good day. Goodbye, Mr. Martindale. Uh, Jack. Jack. Uh, Jack. What is it, Mary?
4: I can't believe what I just heard. What do you mean, you can't believe it? Jack, all you had to do was to say you were 59 and you would have gotten the money. Uh Uh-huh. But by insisting that you were 39, you lost $5,000.
6: That's right.
4: I can't understand it. Why?
6: Mary, I may not be a spendthrift, but I know a bargain when I see one. (laughs) Bargain? Where else can you buy 20 years for (laughs) $5,000?
3: Ladies and gentlemen, our forests are among our most vital resources. Last year, through carelessness, forest fires destroyed millions of acres of valuable timber. This shameful waste weakens America. Protect our forests. Don't toss away lighted matches or cigarettes. Make sure every campfire is completely out. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. Thank you. We'll be back in just a moment But first, nothing No, nothing beats better taste And remember
4: Lucky's tastes better
5: Cleaner, fresher,
4: smoother Lucky's tastes better Cleaner, fresher, smoother For
5: Lucky Strike means Fine tobacco, richer tasting
8: Fine tobacco Lucky's tastes better Cleaner, fresher,
3: smoother Lucky Strike, Lucky Strike Friends, it just stands to reason The cigarette for you to smoke Is the one that tastes better Because when all is said and done, nothing, no nothing beats better taste. And Lucky's taste better, cleaner, fresher and smoother. Here's why. Lucky's better taste really begins with fine tobacco. Most anyone can tell you, LSMFT, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Fine, light, naturally mild tobacco with a wonderful aroma and an even better taste. And Lucky's also taste better because they're made better. They're made round and firm and fully packed to draw freely and smoke evenly. Yes, made better to give you a cleaner, fresher, smoother-tasting smoke. So enjoy the better taste that only fine tobacco and a better-made cigarette can give. When you buy cigarettes, ask for a carton of Lucky Strike. Be happy,
6: go lucky, get better taste today. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes another program and we'll be with you next week at the... Excuse me. Hello? Yes, this is Jack Benny. Yes, Fred Allen is going to be my guest on my television program next Sunday, April 19th. That's right. What? Yes. Yes, he'll get paid in cash right after the show. (laughs) You're welcome.
4: Uh, Jack, who is that?
6: the manager of the hotel where Fred stayed. <laughs>
4: Good night, folks.
3: The Jack Benny program is written by Sam Perrin, Milt Josephsburg, George Balzer, John Tackerberry, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. Be sure to hear The American Way with Horace Height for Lucky Strike every Thursday over this same station. Consult your newspaper for the time. Jack Benny program is brought to you by Lucky Strike, product of the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer
6: of cigarettes. This is the CBS Radio Network.
0: Well, yeah, that was a, that was an interesting program. Uh, a couple things there. You heard uh, Joseph Kearns in there, and of course, Mel Blanc. The little jo- the joke that got probably the biggest laugh. Uh, Dave, stop at. Do you know what a stop at was?
1: It was a uh, deodorant, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, you knew. I didn't know anything. So <laughs> while, while we were listening to this, we looked it up because I was trying to figure out what in the world was that joke all about? And stop at was a deodorant. And the tagline in their ads was, poof, the odor would be gone. So Dennis Day says he poofed who poofed himself to death. And when I heard that, I thought, did he say pooped himself to death? What did he say? And so we looked it up and figured it out.
1: Well, it was obvious that I would know that (laughs) because I'm a stinker. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: Um, All right, yeah, that that was a fun show. Um, All right, we are going to wrap up this segment of the Good Old Days of Radio show. Uh, We'll be back next week with the legendary david golden as our continued guest and for the next show we're not going to do a crazy comedy it's not going to be jack benny it's going to be an episode of escape one of the great uh, drama programs of all time and we'll talk about that uh next week but that's what it's going to be so in the meantime um if you want to know more of uh, dave golden's uh radio golden index and look up programs and all that just go on the in, go on the internet and look up radio golden and it'll all come up for you and you can research all kinds of shows so um until next tuesday at this same time this is john teftiller and the good old days of radio show and thank you dave golden for appearing today and we'll be back next week